Our scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 17, can be found in your pew Bible on page 22. Here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought, from, bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. For his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael, and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. As far as the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. What we have here in this 
passage. And it's an ever-expanding revelation of God's covenant. I mean, we've been seeing it all the way through Genesis, right? We, we saw it all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was called, right? Um, and God made promises to him then. Whoever blesses you, I'll bless. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. On, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Uh, we saw it uh, once again in Genesis 15. God uh, ratified the covenant that he had made already with Abraham by, by uh, doing this covenant uh, exercise of these animals being cut in half. And, and, um, and so there was a covenant that was ratified. The promises were given once again. I'm going to give you many uh, descendants. I'm going to give you this land. And then finally again in, in Genesis 17 we have a, a furthering of that. That promise. And it sort of makes me uh, want, think about the difference between uh, promise and fulfillment. And when I think of promise and fulfillment, I think of a, a very common uh, occurrence that happens in my family. And it's this um, Hey, uh, we're going to uh, Grandma and Grandpa's this weekend. And then, of course, the regret of having told them that we're going to Grandma and Grandpa's because every day they wake up and they say, are we going to Grandma and Grandpa's today? No, not today, this weekend. And then, of course, we get in the car. I said, we're going to Grandma and Grandpa's. And you know what's happening next, right? Are we there yet? And uh, as, you, as you go on as being a parent, you learn. Okay, so at first I'd be like, no, we've got like two hours left. Ah, two hours left. Ah, like that, right? So now I've, I've gotten really careful. I've gotten really good. And they say, are we there yet? I say, we're getting close. <laughs> we're closer. That, they, they take that. That's exciting. Yay, we're getting closer. Really, we're like you know, closer than we were before, but we're not quite there yet, right? So what I mean by that is it's, we're on the way, but we're not there yet. We're already, because the promise has been made, right? We're going to go to Grandma and Grandpa's house, but we haven't made it there yet. We haven't made the fulfillment of that promise. We're, we're not there yet. And, and that's what so much of redemptive history is about. God saying, this promise, this promise, this promise. You're waiting on the fulfillment. You're waiting on the fulfillment. And God understands that. And so what is so kind and what is so generous and what is so graceful and merciful about God is he not only gives us promises, he gives us signs of those promises. Something that's tangible. Something that we can hold on to while we're waiting for that fulfillment, right? And in this case, maybe in the case of going to my grandma and grandpa's, it would be like a picture of my grandma and grandpa's house. Their grandma and grandpa's house. This is what it looks like, right? But when we get there, you'll see it 
in real life. Well, that's what signs of the covenant are. The signs of the covenant assure us as we wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And so you see little by little in Genesis, God giving promises, God giving a little bit more revelation about this covenant, God ratifying this covenant with the, the, the animals split and him passing through in the theophany of the, the smoking pot. And, and, and God then finally giving this covenant a sign, the sign of circumcision. And the signs of the covenant assure us as we wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled. So God has said, this is where we're going, right? And all of us are saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Because like little kids, that's what we are. We're impatient. And God says, we're getting closer. But while you wait, here's a sign. Here's a sign of where we're going. The signs of the covenant assure us as we wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled. There's four points this morning. The first is the nature of the covenant, verses 1 through 8. The second is the sign of the covenant, verses 9 through 14. The third is the line of the covenant. And the fourth is the obedience to the covenant. So the first thing that we have to do when we look at the nature of the covenant is realize that when verse 1 says Abraham, Abram was 99 years old, the 13 years have passed since Genesis 16, when we are told when Ishmael was born, Abram was 86 years old. So if there's anybody saying to God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It would be Abram who's been promised by God that he would have a descendant, and from his descendants, all the people of the, of the world would be blessed, that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashores, and he's 99 years old. Thirteen years have passed. Since Abram and Sarai tried to take things into their own hands and grasp onto the promises of God by their own work and by their own effort. And it's almost as if God is saying, just so you know that this covenant can only come to be through supernatural means and so that you know that I am the one who gives you this covenant, the one who blesses this covenant, the one who makes this covenant powerful. I'm going to wait 13 years. This is, this is the Abraham and Sarah version of God and judges saying, Gideon, you have too many people for your battle. Let's take them and knock them down to 300 because... If there's any more than 300 in this battle, they'll say, we won our victory. We accomplished this great feat. And they'll forget all about me. So if you want to know what the prime age for God to be seen as the miraculous worker of all miracles, of all grace, of all mercy, of all blessing, it's 99. And what's amazing is this is the God who created the heavens 
in the earth. And at 99 years old, he comes down to speak to Abram. We read, the Lord appeared to him. This is the theophany, an appearance of the Lord Almighty. He says, this is who I am, Abram. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram does what any person would do when faced with the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who formed the foundations of the oceans, the one who makes all things come to be and holds all things together. He falls face down. And God says to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. And he reiterates the promises he's already given to Abram, that he's already ratified in a covenant ceremony, a covenant ceremony. You'll be the father of many nations. And this time, he changes Abram's name. He gives him a new identity. Your name will not be Abram meaning exalted father, but Abraham, father of many, father of many. I mean, don't you see the irony in this? I mean, he is 99 years old, and here is El Shaddai, God Almighty, saying, you're going to be the father of many, because I have made you a father of many nations. Do you understand what he's saying here? God said, I have made you. I have made you a father of many nations. You know what this is? This is the divine perfect. What's that mean? It means that if God has promised something, even though we as kids are saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Because God has promised it, it's as good as if it's happened. Abraham's Abraham's 99 years old. He's not been made the father of many nations. But God has promised. And so it's as good as done. And God says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And this is the nature of the covenant. This is what we need to understand because there's so many elements of this covenant being presented to us in Genesis, Right? And there are elements that often distract people and people fixate on. What I mean by that is there's the element of, of generations and the people of Israel, right? And there's the element of the promise of the land, of the land of Canaan. And these things become things that people fixate on, that the covenant was made only with the Jewish nation, or that the covenant was about these land promises, right? Well, if you want to know what the nature of the covenant is, the heart of the covenant that God is making with Abraham, you need to read this verse, verse 7. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you 
and your seed after you, your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. To be your God and the God of your children. That's the nature of the covenant. The nature of the covenant that God is making with Abraham, at its heart, it means this. That I created you to have perfect fellowship and union and communion with me. And that was broken in the garden. And the whole point of all redemptive history is that I have come to accomplish and bring that back. That I have come to get rid of sin so that what separates us would no longer separate us and we could have fellowship, eternal fellowship once again. The nature of the covenant is God's desire to be with us. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? That really what's happening in the history of salvation is that we're on the car going towards our Father's house. And we're in the car and we're saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And God, by His Spirit, is in the car with us and saying, we're almost there. We're getting closer. But while you wait, here's a sign to bring you comfort. To assure you as you wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And so the covenant at its heart is God's desire to be with us. The people have a na- as a nation, Israel... God establishes covenant with them, but it's through faith that we come to find out. Abraham's descendants are numbered as the stars in the sky and the, and the sand on the seashores. That it's a spiritual generation, not an ethical, ethnic one. And the land promises, verse 8, the whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. The land of Canaan represents the new heavens and the new earth. And right now, we're like those aliens, those pilgrims, wandering through this old heavens and old earth. And we're waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled for the home that awaits us in the future. And if you don't believe me, this is exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 4. Verse 9. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, by the way, prior to Genesis 17. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. 
So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he's also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of Canaan? No, of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. What about the sign of the covenant? If you continue to read, God said, as for you, this is what he is saying Abraham is responsible for. As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. What God means by saying this is my covenant is to say this is the sign of my covenant. Okay? Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who's not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God then, in order to comfort his people, gives them a sign of his covenant to assure them as they wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And the sign that he gives in this moment is the sign of circumcision. Now, historically, circumcision would have been quite common in Abraham's day. It was a, a, a wide, a broad practice. And so God comes and he says, this is going to be a covenant sign between me and you, and that is that every male in your household, whether it's your servant or your slave uh, or your descendant, must be circumcised on the eighth day. Now that would have been a striking difference. Um, the eighth day after a male child was born to be circumcised, typically in the, that culture, uh, circumcision was a, a sign of um, uh, passing into manhood. So you would wait till like your 13th birthday or something like that. And you'd be circumcised as an expression of you're now transitioning from a time of childhood to adulthood. Um, and so God, he strikes a different chord and he says, actually, in order for you to know and to, and, and to realize that the uh, fulfillment of this covenant is actually dependent upon me, I want you to circumcise your eight-day-old children. Because these eight-day-old infants express the dependence, the inability um, to fulfill the, the true terms of this covenant. Uh, that the fulfillment of these, this covenant of grace is going to be accomplished by me. And so this, uh, the sign of the covenant establishes 
a few characteristics of the covenant that are important to us and to our conviction as Reformed Christians. One of them is the household principle. Um, God establishes his covenant not just with Abram, but with all of Abram's household. Every male among you, including those born in your household, bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. Every male among Abram's household to be circumcised. Um, Another element that this sign of the covenant expresses is that it's not only for those who believe, like Abram, who believed God and was credited to him as righteousness, right? But also to the children of believers. Uh, We here noted later on in this chapter that Ishmael was 13. Um, I believe that's what it says. Yeah, 13. Uh, when he received the sign of circumcision, but we can guess that there were many in, in Abram's household that were younger than that. But I also want to make note of something that so often gets put under the table, underemphasized when it comes to um, the signs of the covenant. If you can guess already, uh, the New Testament speaks of circumcision being replaced by baptism. Um, Circumcision is a bloody uh, sign. It's one that expresses uh, the need for sacrifice, right? Uh, The need for uh, shed blood, for forgiveness. Um, But circumcision in this case um, has two purposes. It's the sign of the covenant to assure the people of God as they wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled. But it's also a sign of judgment. Verse 14 tells us any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And that is to say that signs of the covenant often have two purposes. They are purposes of promise and grace and they are purposes of judgment and being cut off. Circumcision plays that part. If you are circumcised, you are part of the covenant. Um, But if you are uncircumcised, then you are cut off from the people. In fact, Jesus' very own crucifixion is called a, a being cut off. Um, being uh, cursed. And then you can take this element of of covenant signs and you can apply that to faith. Um, The sign of circumcision was always meant to point to the circumcision of the heart and being cut to the heart. As the Jews said, Pentecost, we are cut to the heart. The prophets speak of being circumcised in the heart. And so when the promise here is given that if you are circumcised in the heart, then you are a recipient of the promises of God. But if you are uncircumcised in heart, then you're recipients of 
the judgment of God. Uh, we can apply that also to the New Testament counterpart, baptism, uh, which correlates with faith as well. What, am I, what do I mean by this? Well, baptism also functions as a sign either of the promise and grace of God or the judgment of God. Baptism is the promise of grace in God because if it's joined with faith, it represents the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. But if not joined with faith, it represents the flood that came and wiped all who were on the earth in Genesis 6 except for Noah and his family. If not joined by faith, it represents the Red Sea that came crashing down and destroyed Pharaoh's army. I think this is important because often, if you listen to today's contemporary Christian music, they like to use terms like flood us with your grace, um, pour out, uh, things like that. And what they don't realize is the flood is a picture of judgment in the scriptures. This is the sign of the covenant. And God is saying, you're going to take this sign of the covenant. And God is saying in this moment, if you join the sign of circumcision with faith, circumcision of the heart, then this will be for you assurance as you wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled, the coming of the Savior and the Messiah who's going to be cut off from his people and who's going to receive the judgment so that you can receive the blessing, right? But if you don't join this sign of circumcision with faith, then you're going to be cut off from the people. You have broken the covenant. You are covenant breaker. What I want to bring this up for is because you may know people who are raised as Christians with you, received the covenant sign of baptism, who have since walked away from the faith. And what I'm asking you to do is that as you consider those people, pray for them that they would join that sign of baptism with faith, that God would work in their hearts to bring them back to his son, Jesus Christ, to the warm embrace of the fellowship and communion that we all are waiting for at the end of the ages, to make that sign of the covenant of baptism be representative of the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Because if they do not join that sign of the promise with faith, that sign will be a sign of judgment. And our prayer should be that as long as there is a day, we must be calling on God to fulfill His promise in their lives. That's the sign of the covenant.
Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Abraham is 99 years old. God is promising him that he is going to have a child, many children, and the sign that he gives him, well, let's just say it's not the sign that I would pick in that situation. What about the line of the covenant? God continues to go on. He says, I'm going to give Sarah, your, your wife, a new name. She's going to be Sarah. And I'm going to bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people come from her. And Abraham fell face down. And he laughed. <laughs> he laughed in the face of God Almighty. I mean, that's how outrageous this is to him. Don't you understand? That's how outrageous the promises of God are coming to him. That he laughs. And later his very own wife will laugh. And they'll laugh together. And their son will be called He Laughs. Because he's 99 years old. And his wife is 90 years old. And here is God saying something that to his very own eyes when they are locked on the world and they are not thinking that anything could come about that could be supernatural and miraculous, he laughs. Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said, why can't my son Ishmael be the one who receives the blessing. Live before your face. God said, yeah. Yeah, a man 100 years old can't have a kid. And your wife Sarah will bear you a son. You're going to call him Isaac. You want to laugh at me? Okay, now your son gets to be called. He laughs. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I'll bless him. I'll make him fruitful, fruitful greatly increase his numbers. He'll be the father of 12 rulers. By the way, Isaac's son would later become the father of 12 rulers of 12 tribes of Israel. I'll make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. God is the one who chooses the line of the covenant. If you go and you read Romans chapter 9, that's exactly what Paul is talking about. God has always operated this way. God has always chosen whom the line will come through. God has always been the one who has been navigating this, the line of the promise, the line of the covenant. And in this instance, too, he's saying, Ishmael, your oldest son, nope, he's not the one who my covenant will be with. It'll be with Isaac. Because Ishmael represents the way that you sought to go after the promises of God by your own work and by your own effort. What does Isaac represent? Isaac represents God's work. And you're resting. Because that's how salvation is. God works. We believe. That's it. 
If we try to work, then what God gives us is not grace, it's payment. But if we receive what God has done, that's not work, that's a gift. That's grace. And that's what Isaac represents. He is the seed of the promise. He's the son of promise, not the son of slavery. He's the son of the working of God, mighty. The line of the covenant comes not through our own work and our own effort. It comes through God's work. The signs of the covenant assure us as we wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And those signs are given by God and received by us. We cannot work to gain them. And so if we're in this car and we're saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? A way for us to try to grasp after what is promised us, what we're waiting for in the future. Just maybe speed up a little bit. Try to rush things. Go a little bit over the speed limit. My wife's back there thinking, yeah, that's Carrie. He's got a lead foot. What is Abraham's response? After God spoke to him, revealed himself to him, told him, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm giving to you, and went up from him. How did Abraham respond? He was obedient. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, circumcised them as God told him. Now, have you ever thought about how that whole conversation went down? Like, God comes down and speaks to Abraham. He's like, Abraham, listen. The sign of the covenant is every male in your household has to be circumcised, okay? And Abraham's like, okay, got it. God goes back up. And then Abraham has like a family meeting. Like, hey, everybody, let's gather in the tent together. Males only. All right? And Abraham's like, okay, so here's the deal. Um, God spoke to me. And uh, we all have to get circumcised today. Yeah, I think that would be an interesting place to be a fly, you know, on the side of the tent, on the wall of the tent, and hear that conversation. But that's what, God, that's what Abraham did. He, he, he believed God, and his faith expressed itself in his obedience. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael, all those born in his household, bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. He was 99 years old when he was circumcised, son Ishmael 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household, or bought from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Abraham believed God Abraham received this sign as assurance as he waits for the promises of God to be fulfilled. 
And so Abraham obeys. That's a very simplistic example of the Christian life for us. We receive the promise of God. We join that promise of God with faith. And we obey. We trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You see, we're still kids in the car, aren't we? We're saying, are we there yet? Yes, it's true that Christ has come and He has died on the cross for our sins and been raised to life three days later. We have been justified in Him. We're being sanctified in Him. But there's more that we're waiting for, isn't there? The promise of Christ coming again, of making all things right, making all things new. The promise of God to renew the heavens and the earth, to eradicate sin, to no longer struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, to bring the new Jerusalem down from heavens, and heaven and earth will meet, and we will forever be there gathered with all the saints throughout all eternity, praising and worshiping God and the Lamb who was slain, saying, worthy, worthy, worthy. Isn't that what we're waiting for? Isn't that what we long for? We're still in this car, and we're saying, are we there yet? And God, in his love and his grace and his mercy, he's given us signs of the covenant, baptism, the Lord's Supper, to assure us as we wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled in Christ. And he's told us all the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Jesus. So whenever we are struggling on this journey called the Christian life, the pilgrimage, whenever we feel like we're Abraham, who is an alien in the very land that God had promised to him, whenever we feel like Abraham, who was 99 years old, and God keeps telling him, yes, I'm going to give you a son. You and Sarah are going to have a son, but he doesn't have it yet. Whenever we begin to feel like that, just remember. Remember that God has promised and in his grace and abundant mercy, he has given us signs to go along with those promises so that not only can we hear and believe, but we can see and believe. So what he's promised to come to be in Jesus Christ will surely come to be. It's already, but not yet. We're getting closer. We're almost there. We're going to make it to our Father's house. Amen. We pray as me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the covenant of grace. Thank you for the signs you've given us of this covenant. Thank you, Lord that you are the one who grants us and gives us faith. Help us, Lord, to be patient as we wait for the promises to be fulfilled. Help us, Lord, as we wait 
and give us assurance in Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you sing with me? Celebration Hymnal 527.